gathering of your people. Pour out your spirit on all that we do in this hour together, and we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. It's always a great joy to come together and worship, and especially today, we're excited about uh, our youth who are leading the service today, and uh, we, it, it's wonderful to see God in their lives and to see God continuing to work and develop His Spirit and presence with them, and so I know that uh, He will minister to us as they share today. We also want to uh, wish you Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we hope it's a great day for you and you have an opportunity to be with family today and that uh, you celebrate, uh, whether, you're, uh, whether you're able to be a family or not, that uh, this is a great day to celebrate the gift of family and our mothers. So we're going to highlight a few things that are in your bulletin. Next Sunday morning, worship again at 8.30 and 11. And um, next Sunday also, we are uh, in the beginning of this experiment this year of uh, doing our elections in a different way. We're going to be holding the elections next Sunday morning before and between and after our worship services. And it will be very clear directions for you as you come in next week. And uh, so for, the, for those of you who are covenant members, you want to make sure that uh, you're here and are part of that process. And uh, be in prayer also about those decisions that we're making. Next Sunday evening, we're also doing something new. We have typically had a Wednesday night, end-of-the-year annual meeting where we uh, come together and we talk about the business of the church and things. And we're going to replace that this year with what we're calling a vision meeting. And uh, next Sunday night will be our vision meeting. Uh, we are going to have some, a little bit of food together. We'll have time to fellowship. Uh, we'll hear some stories about what God has done in some people's lives this year in the church. Uh, we'll also have an opportunity to break up into some groups and talk about some things related to the church. And it's going to be much more interactive perhaps than uh, the other meetings have been. But uh, we hope that you will uh, be a part of uh, that gathering next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. There's an insert in your bulletin that tells you a little bit more about that. And uh, please make that a priority for your schedule. This coming Saturday, we're hosting a work day in the morning. Uh, we've done this for a number of years. If you can help out either all that time or part of it, that would be great. And as you see, uh, coffee and donuts will be provided. So if you need a little incentive, there it is. So uh, we'll just uh, work together and get a lot of things done here in the, in, around the church. There are a number of prayer concerns also in the bulletin. We continue to pray for uh, concerns, burdens of people who are connected to us as well as circumstances around the world. We have the, um, the great privilege this morning of receiving um, 17 people into the membership of the church. Uh, some in this service, some at the 11 o'clock service. It, it's a great joy to be connected as the church. And as, as we know, the church is not a human idea, it's Christ's idea. It is an institution that he began, he started, and he sustains. He's the head of the church, and we surrender ourselves individually and corporately to him. 
And one of the ways in which we connect with each other, one of the ways in which we are the church together is through uh, joining together in membership. And uh, the folks who are coming today have uh, gone through membership class. They have uh, been approved by the, by the elders of the church. They have had conversations about uh, the, um, the things that are important to us as a church. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's important at this moment just to, to mention a few of those things that are important to us that we think about in terms of who we are as a congregation and uh, those things that are central to us and, and what membership means for that. And, you know, it, it's about relationships and that we connect with each other through the good and the bad and the ugly, uh, that, that we are connected to one another. And about discipleship, that uh, through the church we learn and grow most effectively in our walk with Christ. It's about ministering to each other. It's about mooring ourselves in what we believe. And uh, the church helps us to, to keep those things that are central to our faith central in our lives. And it's about belonging, about being connected to one another in uh, this particular group of people. It's about witness. It's about being a witness to the world, about what's important to us. Um, it is also uh, a means of simply caring for each other, blessing each other, and experiencing together the blessing of God. There, there's a lot involved in being the church, and uh, membership is one way in which we communicate to, to each other and, and to those outside the church that uh, this is important, that we're part of this group of believers and we're connected to each other. Um, and so I'm going to ask those who are joining uh, this morning to come and to stand here in the front, and uh, I want to give you an opportunity to meet them and uh, to pray for them. Those who are standing here before you um, are declaring some important truths about themselves. They have a living and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's their desire to open their lives more and more to the Spirit of Christ through prayer, through the Scriptures, through corporate worship, through generously giving to God of what they have, and being involved in the ministry of the church in order to be shaped in the image of Christ and to know the fullness of Christ in their lives. They've been baptized. They've, as I said, they've gone through the membership class. And um, they, have, uh, they have learned everything there is to know about the Wesleyan Church. So, you know, if you, if you want to know something, you can ask them. We'll have a question and answer time. Um, if that's the case, then we're going to switch roles and it'll uh, be all right. But uh, they have, um, it's exciting to, to come together and, and uh, to talk about membership and to see these who are joining our fellowship. I want to just real briefly introduce them to you, and uh, at the end of the service, I want to Im- encourage you to take a moment and I would ask them to come back up and to greet them, to introduce yourself to them if you don't know them, and to welcome them into the fellowship of the church. This is Joy Blaisdell. She lives in Farmersville Station. She is a supervisor of a group home. She has attended here for about nine months. And uh, she is starting to help with uh, Children's Church and also is interested in helping with the sound system as uh, she's able to do that. And she is transferring her membership from Redeemer Lutheran Church in Colden, New York. This is uh, Ashley Ott and Ray and, and Wendy Ott. They also live in Farmersville Station and have been attending here for about nine months. 
Ray is retired as an auto worker and truck driver, and uh, Wendy is a stay-at-home mom. Ashley is a student at Central Baptist Christian School in Arcade, and she also works at the Elton Greenhouse. Ray is interested in helping with things related to the building. Wendy's on the library committee. Ashley's interested in helping with Sunday school. And they also are transferring their membership from Redeemer Lutheran Church in Colden, New York. Next, we have Mark and Terry Sweet. They live in Portageville. Mark is a corrections officer with the Wyoming County Sheriff's Department. Terry is a business administrator at Letchworth Central School. They have attended for about a year and a half. And uh, both of them have done some things with college ministries and are, uh, and, and Terry also with children's ministries. And they are transferring from the Castile United Church of Christ. At the end, Peter and Karen Taraka, they have, um, they live here in Houghton and have uh, attended here for about five years. And you see with them Warren and Nicole, their children who are eight years old. They actually, if I, th- I think I have this right, they live in the old, old parsonage of the church, just down the street here. Um, and Karen teaches at the college in the chemistry department. Peter is a gemologist, and um, Peter's part of a sermon focus group, uh, helps with uh, the, our men's Bible study as a part of that, and uh, they both are uh, part of a Sunday school class that's shared leadership. And they are joining by transfer from the First Baptist Church of Mooresville, Indiana. I want to uh, give those of you who are members an opportunity to affirm them and to affirm your commitment to them. So if you're a member, I want to invite you to stand. I know that you rejoice with them in this significant moment in their lives and that you welcome them with open arms and hearts to the fellowship of believers in this church. Do you promise to lovingly support them in their walk with Christ and that as they support all of you in your walk with Christ, so that together we may glorify God our King and inspire each other to love and compassion and to be a unified witness to this world of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. If so, answer, we do. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for every person standing here, for their commitment to this body of believers. We know that... um, The church is about you and us together. And as we join our lives together, we realize that there are some amazing things that you can do in us and for us. And so we celebrate these new members. And we pray that together we will join our hearts and our spirits in worship of you and in learning of you and in becoming more and more like Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us so that together, through the ups and the downs of our lives, we will know your joy and your grace and your compassion and the connectedness that we have together in Christ. Father, pour out your spirit on each one standing here before us and all of us that we may continually be more and more faithful to you through the power of your spirit. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to make sure that you take a moment to come up and uh, welcome and and, uh, into the fellowship of the church those who have joined today. At this time, we'll ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
the opportunity to pray together and as you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Father, it's an awesome thing to realize that in your mercy and grace, the lost get found. It really is beyond our comprehension to to truly grasp that truth. We pray, Father, that you will help us to see your love and your mercy in our lives. That you continually call us to yourself and whether we have a relationship with you or not. You are continually drawing us closer and closer and closer to yourself. And we pray that you would give us grace to want that closeness with you, to desire it, to yearn for it, and to let you do in us what we so desperately need and what you so much want to do. Father, we thank you that on this day in which we celebrate Mother's We celebrate the gift of family. We know that there are no perfect families because none of us on this earth are perfect. And so we pray that you would help us 
We pray that you would help us to be parents who love our children and lead our children to Christ in all that we do. And help us to be children who love our parents in the spirit of Christ's love in all that we do. And in all of our family connections, help us to know your grace and mercy, to be people who love and forgive, people who show kindness and mercy, respect and honor one another, and people who want nothing more than what is best for each other. Father, there are many needs that we represent this morning. You know them even more than we do. We pray for all who are struggling to find a job, particularly in times of economic difficulty. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain and loss. We pray for all who are dealing with broken relationships and they're struggling with anger and bitterness. We pray for every person who feels overwhelmed with disappointment from unfulfilled expectations. And we ask that you would help us and heal us and transform us to live as as resurrection people in a world of such heartache and pain and suffering. Father, we pray for our college graduates. Thank you for all that they've accomplished. For the great event yesterday here at Houghton. We ask that your mercy and grace would be on their lives and that they would know your direction, your leading, your guiding for their lives. And that in every moment, their deepest desire would be to follow you, to know you, and to serve you. Father, we pray for our youth. Thank you for every one of them. The struggles that they face can be overwhelming sometimes. Decisions they have to make, the difficulties they encounter... Wrap your arms of love around them. Fill them with your grace and lead them in the way everlasting through your mercy. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray that you will help us to live as people who are connected to and have been filled with the power of the resurrected Christ in whose name we offer our prayers. Amen. scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 14. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. 
In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. They may, may they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of transgression, of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, as a teenager, there are so many authority figures in my life. There are my parents and teachers, youth leaders, coaches, most of all God, though. All of these different groups of people hold at least some level of power over myself and the other teens they're involved with. Sometimes I can see the benefit of the rules that are set by them, and other times I joyfully obey because I love them. And sometimes it's both of those things together. 
However, other times I hit that wall of frustration that comes because I can't see the good. or I don't want to be controlled by something that I can't see the point in. It makes me feel bitter and angry inside. And far too often I feel justified in those feelings to disobey. But that isn't what God's saying at all. I believe that teenagers are often thought of with having rebelliousness as an undeniable characteristic. Something almost grafted into our DNA that somehow fades away as we get older. However, it can't be pretended that the reaction is limited to people my age. All humans are stubborn with God and what he wants us to do. History shows us right off the bat what happened because of human nature's tendency to be disobedient. Adam and Eve were cursed to have to toil and experience pain all because they broke the first and only rule that God had given them. As we read Psalm 19, it talks a lot about God's law. That word can mean a lot of things. I mean, it can mean Moses' law or the Old Testament covenant or the counsel of God's word or even the fulfillment of the law, which is Christ. But just to set things straight, there are a few things I'm not talking about. I'm not referring to the Ten Commandments, and I'm not discussing a set of laws that can redeem our sinful nature. There's nothing that can make us right with God except for Christ's blood. I think even in the Old Testament, the rules didn't save God's people. Hebrews says it was their belief in God that was credited to them as righteousness. At the same time, we can see from the book of James that the law is still important when he talks about looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continuing in it. Now, what I am talking about is a way of living with God that includes having to follow his rules. Parents, for example, have to set innumerable rules for their children, such as don't run with the scissors or don't talk to strangers or the infamous call to clean your room. But every parent will admit that there's been times that while they made a decision that was meant to be good for the good of their children, it wasn't the right decision to make. Humans just can't have the correct judgment every time. And that's what makes God's law so unique, though. These rules are the only set in which every single one is completely for our benefit and the benefit of God's kingdom. But having noticed in a lot of media, whether religious or secular, there are stories with this very idea of disobedience being right and good. They also support that disobedience yields painful consequences. There are people who try to deny that such a thing exists, but I think that C.S. Lewis puts the argument very well in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, these then are the two points that I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not in fact behave in that way. They know the law of nature, they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. Consider Little Red Riding Hood. Her her parents tell her not to talk to any strangers and not to stray from the path. But of course, what does she do? She strays and she talks. And pretty soon, her grandmother's been eaten by a wolf and she's pretty close to being on the menu herself. Next, there's Pandora's box. There's a disaster. This girl's given all these lovely attributes from the gods, plus a little extra gift, a box that she's not allowed to open. It distracts and tempts her to the point of madness at which she tears open the lid and releases all the evil and pain into the world. It's a pretty big consequence for opening a box. Pretty big consequence for eating an apple. I can mention many others, though. Finding Nemo, Lion King, Pinocchio. Sometimes we as Christians think that we have it harder than others with so many more rules and regulations than non-Christians. But that is a deception. Those kind of thoughts plant false self-pity in our hearts. From all these examples, even though they exist in the secular world, the morals are agreed upon, and not one of them is void of God's rules for our lives. For example, God's command through Paul for children to obey their parents in Colossians 3.20 is a main theme in all of these tales. 
Even the secular world has admitted that the rules are important and help keep us safe, even if they don't fully admit that this concept originates with God. Also, notice in Lion King and Pinocchio that the fathers go after their sons at a great cost to themselves. Sound familiar? So when we feel that this lifestyle is unfair, we need to remind ourselves of something. Everyone's being held accountable to the same rules. And for those of us that follow these rules, we get to experience the freedom from God that comes from the very law that we think is restricting us. In reality, our lives are filled with so much more joy and peace as Christians. I find it a little bit interesting that David, the writer of the Psalms and many others, worships God for his law so completely, even when it is God's law that condemns his son, the son conceived by Bathsheba, to death. Let's look more specifically at what David said about God's law. It is referred to as his law, his statutes, his precepts, his command, fear of him, and his decrees. The descriptions are that his law is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, and firm. This kind of poetry is like a crystal, which you turn the sun, and from every angle it sparkles. I was thinking about why the first and second half of Psalms 19 seem to be so unrelated. I mean, it starts out talking about how, God, how great God's creations are, and then skips immediately to his law. And then it struck me that maybe they're both meant to be in that category of wonderful things that God has created. David loved God's law, and he could see its true identity. He could really see its beauty and was able to earnestly treasure its guidance. But God, being the perfect justice that he is, also disciplines us. He will not be two-faced with us or flippant about his own laws. He's the source and center of the absolute right that exists because he exists. In his commentary on this passage, Matthew Henry states, The statutes of the Lord, enacted by his authority and binding on all wherever they come, are right, exactly agreeing with the eternal rules and principles of good and evil, that is, with the right reason of man and the right counsels of God. It is saying that God's laws are completely in line with, his, with God and his absolute goodness. In another place, he says, The psalmist gives an account of the excellent properties and uses of the word of God in six sentences, in each of which the name Jehovah is repeated, and no vain repetition, for the law has its authority and all of its excellency from the lawmaker. Now, this sentence is saying exactly what I'm talking about. The law has been created as something perfect because of its perfect creator. Because of this, we must be disciplined for our wrongs because both the law and its creator cannot and will not deviate from the complete holiness to let us off the hook. In Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, it says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The mere fact that he's willing to take the time and show us our wrongs and punish us for them is absolute proof that he loves us and that he's doing it all because he loves us, because he loves us at his own, as his children. So we can see why God gives the law and even why he punishes us for disobedience. But still, why do we obey? Well, first of all, because we are his creations. Scripture declares in Isaiah 64, 8, And yet, O Lord, you are a father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Because God created us, he knows every part, every impulse of our human lives. He made us so that we work in a certain way that requires the right fuel. Have you ever bought something where you think it's going to be so great to open up and try out right when you get home? You know, you drive all the way to Buffalo and you'll find this great toy for your kid or even honestly for yourself until you discover that tiny little black writing in the corner that says batteries not included. 
And it just happens to need those huge D batteries, something you haven't needed to keep in the house for like five years. But obviously the old double A's just aren't going to cut it. And we're exactly the same way. I had quite the experience on 30-hour famine just a few weeks ago. I was only able to run normally with the lack of food for four or five hours before I really started to feel the effects. As we neared 12 o'clock on the second day, I basically shut down. I was zoning out every five minutes and felt like I could barely move. The fatigue was really overwhelming, and it came on before I'd even lasted a full 24 hours. It's a really clear picture of how we can't function without the right fuel that we're made to run on. God also made us with specific fuel for our spirits and mind, his law. His law is what we run on best, and he knows it because he created us. And thirdly, we obey because we love God. But it goes beyond that. There's something that we have to admit. The fact that we can't even pretend to love him if we aren't even trying to obey his laws. Obedience is hard and is only the strong motivation of love that can enable us to be humbled to that point. When with our parents or grandparents or special mentor, we want to do the best we can to make them proud. We want to show our love through our obedience because of the respect we have for them. Every week, I go to take violin lessons with my teacher, who has recently moved into Fillmore. She's one of the kindest, most committed, and just most wonderful women that I know, and I care for her a lot. And every week, I stand there with my violin at the ready for her to, do, for her to correct the next thing she finds and to do my utmost best to fix the things that she is trying to fix for me because I know she's only trying to help me become a better violin player. But how much more is it this way with God? His correction in us through his law is only going to help us. Psalm 19 describes the benefits of God's law in us and that they are his law refreshes the soul, makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart, gives light to the eyes, endures forever, and all of them are righteous. They're also described to be sweeter than honey. I mean, imagine that. The thing that we thought was so bitter is now revealed to us as one of the epitaphs of sweetness. Another way to look at it is to honestly see the rules as a favor. If we had no idea what we were doing wrong, how could we ever even want to take hold of the grace that God has extended us to us through his son? What a merciful God that we serve that he provides both the knowledge and the means to repent and be saved. But to be honest, we still fall short. Sometimes it feels good to break the rules, to be a little rebellious or to have fun. Even scripture says the sin is pleasurable for a season. But it's not what we think it is. Too many times I've just gone for that and come up completely dry. It's like I build up the adrenaline, I get going, having such a good time, and nothing. I end up feeling worse than when I started and far more empty than I had before. There's a quote by Matthew Henry that says, The pleasures of sense are deceitful. They will soon surfeit and yet never satisfy. But those of religion are substantial and satisfying, and there's no danger in exceeding in them. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, God wants to offer us joy that we aren't even able to overdose on. Pleasure that we'll never have to feel guilty about indulging in. And he is offering this through his own law. It just becomes clear how much the rules are actually for our benefit. And as we grow, we can get better at obedience. Something in our home the other day gave me a picture of how things are with God. My mom, brother, and I were getting ready to take a walk. We were going to be outside for a while, and we were going to visit the journey to the cross event that was going on. And it was sunny out, and when I stepped out for, outside for a minute, I was absolutely sure that I didn't need my coat. But my mom had a different idea. 
And so she starts telling me how it's cold and I'm about to start arguing. And then I stop and I trail off. I think about what I'm about to say and accept that she's probably right. A few seconds later, having realized what I just accomplished and now with my coat, I walk back into the kitchen where my mom is and say with a sly smile, see how much more mature I've gotten? Didn't even argue that time. (laughs) And as we take steps to becoming more mature in our spiritual lives, we come to realize that God is going to be right. So we obey his directions without the resistance. Saves a lot of time and comes to the right conclusion with far less tears and complications. However, there's one last oh-so-important fact about obeying God's law. Something that opens up a whole new level of intimacy with the Lord. Oftentimes we call, or we as Christians, call our life with God a walk. Or you've heard the term, you know, journey with God or something along those lines. But did you consider how obedience fits into that? Our Holy Father in heaven is walking a very specific path. And only when we follow God's laws are we able to walk on that path with him. So you see, we literally have to be walking on the same path to be walking together. As for the depth of the intimacy between ourselves and God, I found it helpful to think of it this way. Imagine two pairs of friends. In the first pair, one friend is always helping the other out of the ditch he just keeps falling into. In the other pair, the two friends take long walks together, not because the one needs saving from tower situations very often, but because they enjoy each other's company and they're able to communicate with each other and deepen their friendship. Far too often, we and God are the first pair. God readily wants to help us out of our ditch, but, and he will. But the relationship is still only built on the need to be saved from the consequences of our disobedience. We just won't follow his laws and it gets us into trouble. We aren't walking the same path. We aren't near him enough to even carry small talk with the Lord. We linger on thankfulness rather than being driven by love. And so we never get past the first layer of the relationship. However, on the other hand, there's the relationship built on our submission to the law and the wonderful fruits that are produced. Since we're living in a way that, isn't, that is in accordance with the Lord, we can walk alongside him. We are opening to listen to what God actually has to say to us, for us to open up our hearts in any way to him. We actually have time to weep and to laugh and to confide and eventually get all the way down to the core. So now, what do you choose? Do you want the guilt and the negative consequences of a life that is void of God's beautiful law? Or do you want to experience the joy and the peace um, and the intimacy with God that comes from obeying? To taste and to see the laws that are sweeter than honey and that bring light to the eyes. If there's one thing to be said, it's that binding oneself to God's law will actually be the most freeing thing that we can ever, ever experience.
I'd like to invite the new members who were just received this morning to come forward at this time. And following the benediction, uh, we'd invite you to just come and greet them as uh, new members of our church. So new members, come forward now, please. Will you receive the benediction? This week as you go, may you know that the law of the Lord is good. And may you walk in that freedom. Amen.